when I look at somebody, can I envision what the Lord is wanting to do in this person in the middle of the difficulty of going through adjustment, whatever? What is God up to? God's always up to something good, even in our worst moments. So can I envision what the Spirit of God is doing inside of that person? And can I track with that? Can I think about that and just long to, to follow along in the tracks of the Spirit as opposed to having to come up with some brilliant thing my own? This is Words to Live By, a podcast that serves the purpose to help you supercharge your relationships with God, others, and yourself. I'm Michael Gibson, and on this week's show, we're going to be talking about encouragement. If you know someone who's going through a tough time, or you just don't know really what to say or how to help them in the moment, then you're going to really love what our guest, Dr. Larry Crabb, has to say today on encouragement. Stay tuned. So our guest today, Dr. Larry Crabb, is a world-renowned psychologist as well as an amazing author of many books that have sold millions of copies around the world. But Dr. Crabb is actually famous in my family for being a catalyst for my parents' marriage, which dad's going to tell you about a little bit later. But I recently came across his book called Encouragement, The Unexpected Power of Building Others Up. And I honestly had a moment of realizing that encouragement is something that I'm personally a little bit self-conscious about. When one of my friends or family members are going through a hard time, I want to say so much more than that superficial, you got this, or be more sympathetic than that generic pat on the back. But through Dr. Crabb, I learned that there's so much more that goes into encouragement than just words, and I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. By the way, one more side note before we get started, I just wanted to let you know about the audio quality of this episode and that it's probably going to be different than what you're used to hearing. We tape this episode with me in my studio in Missouri, my dad in the studio in Dallas, and Dr. Crabb in North Carolina. Dr. Crabb and my dad both joined me via phone and we had a few wires crossed and a few technical difficulties, but don't let that hinder you from hearing this awesome word from Dr. Crabb. So with that being said, and without further ado, I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Larry Crabb, who was just giving us the scoop on moving east to be closer to his grandkids. Of course, yeah, we understand the grandparents have a role to play, and we have uh, two older grandchildren still in Denver, but we've been with them since they were born, and uh, now the girl is 21 and a sophomore in college. The boy is 18 and has a car and a girlfriend, so grandparents are a little less in the picture in that situation. So we moved to younger granddaughters so we could be adored down here in North Carolina. That's great. And I'm still waiting for my kids someday to even think about grandkids because <laughs> I can't think of anything that's more exciting. Well, I can tell you with five of them that it's uh, it's, it's really cool. It's really a lot of fun. And um, it's got it. You always have concerns and you have burdens and you pray a lot. And you love a lot and you really have a good time. Uh, that's awesome. And. Michael, speaking of grandpa, you know, when I was dating mom and we started, you know, I asked him permission to, you know, for his daughter's hand in marriage. And he said, that's awesome. And I can't wait for you guys to get married. But, hey, I want to start meeting with you. So grandpa started just talking to me. He said, let's start having lunch once in a while. And I would love to go through this book with you. And so I was like, great. I was in college and, you know, I didn't read very much in college, very much, you know, textbooks or anything outside of that. So asking me to read was a big deal. And so we got to the restaurant and he slid over this book and it was called Inside Out by Dr. Larry Kraft. 
So I'm really excited today for our guest. Well, yeah, I appreciate hearing that, but you're making me feel old. <laughs> making me feel old now, too, just thinking back all the way to those days in college. But this is really an honor to, you know, just to be able to have you part of the podcast. And I really can't think of anything probably more exciting for people to probably desire in life is what you're going to share with us today. Well, I appreciate that. Yes. And because it's all of us really desire a lot of that. And one of the things is I just know from, from being a part of of ministry and, and so many amazing people is I love being around just certain people because they do this one thing really well. And they do it so well that, you know, you just start kind of gravitating towards them because they do it so well. And you're actually going to share with us really what that is, is encouragement. Well, it's a big deal, and it's certainly we're commanded to do so. And I think one of the reasons I wrote that book a long time ago was a recognition as I was in private practice as a psychologist that a whole lot of people sitting in churches were leaving, leading rather hidden lives with all sorts of things going on beneath the surface that never got talked about. And yet we all would dress up for church and we'd sing the hymns and hear the sermon and say hi to each other and say silly things like, how you doing today? And we say, fine, thanks. And never went deeper. And people seem to have to leave the church to go to a professional setting to be able to talk realistically. And I didn't like that a bit. And I thought, now that's a mistake. There's a whole lot of what people are looking for doesn't really require a professional therapist. It requires a sensitive Christian who knows something about how the Spirit of God might lead him into relationships. And so it was that kind of thinking that got me to write the book in the first place a long time ago. So after just seeing that, because that is a huge thing, and just working with with so many millennials as, as they are coming up, and, and really what you're talking about is because they want to experience really what you just talked about. Is, yep. is that relationship, and they want to be able to, uh, more than stuff, more than accumulating lots of wealth, is they really do want meaningful uh, relationships that have a lot of substance, but also relationships that are kind of life-giving. You know, they want that um, that cheerleader to be able to go on, but also to know that, you know what, it's real. I want to talk in a real way. I want to be able to share with you what's on my heart without feeling criticized, without feeling condemned, without getting a lecture, but just be able to share and to know how do you respond in that way that's kind of like what you're just talking about that actually brings us back into the church instead of us leaving the church and trying to find that elsewhere. Yeah, I would love people to really understand that Christianity doesn't is, is not a legalistic opportunity to condemn people. It really is an opportunity to hear what's really, really wrong. One of my favorite sentences is that the person who changes the most is the person who has the courage and the opportunity to look bad in the presence of love. And when I was in practice or even in my friendships and two ways, I've been able to share some things about my own self that are not terribly pretty and to have somebody hear what I'm struggling with and where I'm failing and where I'm ugly in certain ways. And to have them look at me with hope and vision as opposed to judgment and retreat. And I think that that's half the battle. Maybe it's not all of it, but it's half the battle to be looking at somebody with a vision 
for who they could become and to never deny that possibility because the gospel can change the worst of us into somebody who really becomes a, a decent human being thanks to what Christ can do. And you know, that just, well, you just said it's such an awesome quote and it just kind of made me think about, you know, so much of church, a lot of times, you know, we come into church, we kind of think it's about sin management. How can we, you know, conduct our lives in a way that is pleasing to people, but then really, when we get into it, it's about Jesus. It's allowing our hearts to be transformed by him in a way that is going to be a reflection of him to the world, as opposed to me just trying to have behavior modification. Because that doesn't last. That's hard. That takes a lot of energy. But what you're really talking about is, is something that is real and life-giving to so many people to talk about a vision of what you can be, what an edifying word that is. Well, and as, as C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, that at the entire purpose of the church, and some people will think this is an overstatement, but I don't, the entire purpose of the church is to make little Christs, to, uh, to form the kind of people, become spiritually formed in such a way that by the way we relate, we put the love of Jesus on display, and to understand what the love of Jesus really is, it's a sacrificing, suffering, suffering love that's willing to pay any price for the encouragement of another. And I, I'm often challenged by that. When I'm with people that are struggling, people that are hurting, I just spent time with a, a pastor of a megachurch who's a really good guy, but he opens up with me just uh, yesterday, actually, and let me know that there really are struggles in his life as well, even though he's a marvelous preacher and a great leader in his church, but he's got his struggles and as I'm listening to him, rather than trying to figure out how to change him, rather than trying to figure out what's wrong and how I can treat him with my psychotherapeutic skills, rather than that, my thought was, here's a guy that bears the image of God. Here's a guy that has a spirit of God living within him. Here's a guy that's forgiven. He has a new inclination in his soul. And can I believe that all that can be released? And, and to some degree, I can be a facilitator of that by believing in them, having a vision for them, and speaking with that kind of hope, as opposed to retreating and trying to fix. I think one of the most dangerous things we do, I think we're all addicts to want to help each other, you know? And so, so when I share a problem, if somebody says, well, here's a solution, I'm pretty much turned off, I want to walk away. But if I share a struggle and somebody listens to me and says, I'd like to hear your story, I'd like to hear more about that, because you're somebody I'm really enjoying getting to know even though what you're saying can be pretty ugly stuff. That's the person I want to talk to. And I, I love that because, um, you know, Dr. Crabb, one thing for me personally that I kind of struggle with when it comes to, uh, when it comes to encouragement is, um, in fact, just this morning I was on the, uh, I was FaceTiming with some friends of mine who are literally overseas adopting their child. Things aren't really going well with the uh, paperwork and it just kind of seems like everything's crumbling around them. And so my friend, uh, texted me and said, Hey, do you mind just FaceTiming me? Because I really would love to just talk to you. And, you know, cause we're really having a hard time and, you know, I just really kind of struggle I think with wanting to come up with the right thing to say and um yeah. you know and so because I for me it's it's like I always want to be able to have you know that word and uh, but normally it just kind of fizzles out for me and I end up just saying you know oh I'm I'm so sorry you're going through that and and so what would be a way for the people that maybe are like me to where uh, we're kind of lost for words because I'd love to be able to uh, to learn you know to how to encourage those people right where they are well there's several things one thing that occurs to me off the bat is, and all of us can, can relate to what you're saying, I want to say the right thing to somebody who's hurting, 
And that can come out of a real love for that person, of course, but part of the motivation uh, for that fear, part of the reason for the fear is pride. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to look bad. And so you really are thinking more about yourself than about the other. And therefore, we don't tend to take the risks of giving who we are, even though it might not be the right thing or a good thing. But when it becomes genuine from who we are and we're not controlled by our own fear of how bad we're going to look and then saying the wrong thing, then that, that makes a big difference. But once we uh, wrestle with that issue of fear of looking good and looking bad and all that, then, then it seems to me that at least two words, and I'm sure there's many others, but two words are rather important to think about. And we're already, I've already said a little bit of this, but when I look at somebody, can I envision what the Lord is wanting to do in this person in the middle of the difficulty of going through adjustment, whatever? What is God up to? God's always up to something good, even in our worst moments. So can I envision what the Spirit of God is doing inside of that person? And can I track with that? Can I think about that? And just long to, to follow along in the tracks of the Spirit, as opposed to having to come up with some brilliant thing of my own. So the first thing is to envision what God might be doing. And then the second thing is just to explore. Um, it's, it's very rare for somebody to feel explored. One of my favorite secular psychiatrists, not a Christian, is a man named Irvin Yalom. And in one of his many books, he says that one of the greatest tragedies is the tragedy of an unobserved life. And I would suggest that for 90 people out of 100 sitting in a church have never been meaningfully observed by another human being who longed to explore them and to hear their story and to stay with the story without trying to offer solutions or out, without trying to say the right thing. And if you, if, you, if you take the pressure off yourself and realize that you might not say the right thing, but the Spirit of God can use your, your best intention, then maybe you can get a hold of what the book of Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I can actually say a word if I'm tracking with the spirit, not trying to look good, not trying to impress, not trying to handle my fear by not making a fool of myself. If I can put that aside and repent of that as pride, then maybe the words that I'm going to say might actually come from my new redeemed heart and be in track with the spirit. And it might be a word of life that can stir something up. One of my favorite passages in line with all this, of course, is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 where he says, when you get together, I want you to, I want you to move toward each other, to relate to each other in a way that, 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 that brings love and good deeds, encourage each other in a way that stimulates. And the word for stimulate or stir up is actually the word by paroxysm, kind of an explosion. I want to say something to you. I long to say something to you that will, that will touch the deepest part of you and release you to become the person that you most long to be, even in the middle of whatever struggle you're going through. That is an awesome word in just being able to, um, first of all, feeling convicted already as, you know, just in the pride and especially as, you know, being in the role of a pastor and being a uh, person that works with couples is just always, we're always thinking, okay, well, how can I encourage, how can I point them towards the truth? But by being able to envision that, how do, with the Spirit of God, how, how do, are we able to really take what they're saying, let go of pride, and be able to allow the Holy Spirit just to speak through us to them? Dr. Trent, how do we kind of take that step? Because that is, I believe, is so foreign to so many of us, is also being afraid of, wait, I can't be thinking about it so i don't want to appear in that awkward 
situation where I don't really know what to say, how, how would we be able to really sit there and be able to encourage that person by what you just said? We eliminate the pride, we envision that future. Is How do we really take that there so we're able to really uh, be in, an encouragement? Well, my first response is not going to be a happy response. I, I, I really believe that um, it's very easy for a lot of people to come up with formulas to make it work and here's the four steps that'll make it happen. And I, I like to eliminate that thought. And I would rather, as you long to do what you're, what you're saying there, which is a very legitimate longing, it just reflects your godly heart, to want to be there to encourage somebody, I would suggest that one thing to think hard about is, is just to reflect on your own life and think about the, the times in your life when you've been struggling, when you've been hurting, when things haven't gone well, maybe attention with your wife, maybe concern about a friend, whatever it might be, money problems, health problems, whatever, and, uh, and to get in touch very quietly in the presence of the Lord, what would I most want someone to do if I made known this particular struggle? What do I long for? And one of the things that I learned in my graduate training that was very, very simple, but also very, very profound that when I sit with somebody and I'm sitting there as Dr. Crab, I'd much rather be called Larry, but when I'm sitting there as Dr. Crab with a patient, and I hate that word because it's a human being, I, I, I want to realize that we're all really pretty much alike. And what I want beneath the doctor stuff, beneath my degrees and whatever else, what I long for as a man, as a human being, as somebody who's scared, as somebody who is not all that I want to be, what do I really want? And the answer is I want somebody to be with me in the most profound sense of the word with. What does it mean to be profoundly with somebody? And these are cliche sentences here, but we have you know, two ears and one mouth. We need to be listening a whole lot more than we speak. And uh, even the, uh, James talked about that. You know, let's, let's listen well, let's speak less and listen more. And am I willing to shut up and to, to simply explore and to think about what would I want most from somebody if I were struggling with what this person is sharing with. And I see nothing wrong and everything right with in a conversation like that to allow yourself to disclose something of yourself and to be very authentic and maybe even to say to somebody, you know, as you're sharing that, my heart breaks. And what it really breaks over is I'm not really sure what to say to you right now. I don't have any great wise words, but I can tell you this much. There's something in me that is drawn to who you are right now because you're struggling honestly and you're in line for the gospel to mean something more to you as time goes on. And I'm just very aware of feeling that as I'm sitting with you. Make known who you are in the presence of a conversation rather than trying to come up with the right words to help somebody else. Wow. And Michael, when we're talking about millennial generations and, and life is about relationship with Dr. Crabb, that was a powerful word he just said in with me. That's right. That's right. Because I think so many times, you know, it's just, uh, I, and Dr. Crab, I certainly see myself as this is, um, I just kind of, you know, when I'm driving down the road with a friend who's sharing something to me, I kind of see myself in my own little bubble. And sometimes, you know, I'm always just, and, and so I think being able to break down those walls and being able to, you know, really be able to experience that, that relationship and being able to understand that is, um, I feel like is, is something that I definitely want to work on. And, uh, I think that's something that, I think that a lot of us maybe forget a lot of the times. I think the millennial generation, what little I know of it, is far removed from them. Um, but I think there's an incredible awareness of a very strong longing for authenticity. 
I just, you know, we, we just don't want to see people fake. And um, I, was, I was with a young man, um, oh, a few years ago, I guess now, who, um, who said to me, I was raised in a strong Christian home. And I want to tell you something, Dr. Crabb, I am now an atheist. I don't believe that there's a God anymore. And I would, I, I don't, I, I just hated telling my parents that it broke their hearts, but it was authentic on my part. And as I explored that with him, something very interesting came up that um, it was his experience. And I think it's the experience of many, particularly millennials talking with the older adults and older senior citizens, whatever age, that rarely the people who are older, people at my age, I'm in my seventies now, I think it's rare for older people to make known the struggles they're going through, they often just talk about the victory in the Christian life and talk about how much they love Jesus and how the Bible means the world to them and they spend an hour every morning in prayer. And then I'm a millennial sitting there and saying, well, then this, the struggles that I have, you've never felt. So the God that you know is not adequate for the struggles that I have. But when somebody older is able to share, these are the struggles that I have and this is how I found the gospel, Christianity, Jesus, the Father, the Spirit. This is how I found them meaningful and relevant to the struggles that I have. That's when people can pick up an ear and listen. I remember it was in, uh, some number of years ago. My two sons now are in their middle, late 40s, but uh, quite some number of years ago, my, my older son, I think, had, a, um, he had some struggles as a teenager. And I think part of the struggles were he saw me as somebody who had it all together. And my goodness, did I not. But apparently I was communicating that to him because I thought being a father meant I need to let him know that everything is going well in my life because of Jesus. And I took him out for breakfast one morning and I sat with him for two and a half hours and I said, I want to introduce myself to you. And he looked funny like, what do you mean? I know you have known you since I was a kid. And I said, no, 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 I've never let you know me. And I'm going to let you know the kind of struggles that I feel. Here's what's going on in my interior world. And here's what Jesus means to me. I was talking with my granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, who's now in her 20s, and she was going through some, some difficult struggles with her faith. And I shared with her, with my wife's permission, and I have permission for this, I shared with her that her nana, her grandmother, my wife, had been sexually abused for four years as a child. And my granddaughter, who at the time was 14, she began to cry. And she said, I can't believe nana went through that. How was she able to deal with that horrible, horrible abuse? And what an opportunity to talk about what Jesus can do in the middle of something awful like sexual abuse. And I think just making known, introducing ourselves to younger people and to each other can have a very, very powerful effect on the other person. I absolutely agree. And, and you know, one thing for me that I, that I kind of find myself in a trap in is um, my parents. And uh, I know you're, you're, you got to meet one today, my dad, but uh, my mom, I would say, I call her a professional cheerleader. She just knows how to be able to encourage me in every sense of the word. And um, but oftentimes I think I kind of struggle with being able to accurately articulate what I need. And, um, you know, when I think on kind of the other side is that when I'm, you know, needing encouragement, sometimes I kind of find myself kind of stammering for words. And, and, uh, so what would be the best way and, and how do we be able to tell people exactly, you know, how we feel to where, uh, to be able to receive that encouragement? Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for a terse response. Um, but I, I, I think it is true that, that, um, a great number of people, and I think Christianity has been misinterpreted to support this idea, that that um, 
that, that it really is, is, is not a good thing. And I think this is a mistake. But we think it's not a good thing to, to, to explore our inner world, to explore what's really going on. Um, in the spiritual formation circles, it's something they call it examine. And it's a, actually, it's a fancy word beyond the obvious word, examine. And the suggestion is at the end of every day, um, to sit down maybe with a journal, maybe with your own thinking, and to sit by yourself for 15, 20 minutes, and just to say, now, what was going on inside of me? What do I wish would have uh, somebody would have said to me? What do I really wish I could receive right now? What are my struggles? What has been difficult for me today? What's been joyful? And it's really a way of getting to know yourself. And um, I, I, I'm not a, a very faithful journaler, but I've journaled some. And when I, when I write, I just am thinking about um, what's going on in me. The feedback I get from a lot of people when they read my books is that I'm, I'm rather authentic. And my response is, my gracious, you don't realize how much I'm not sharing about myself. But I do want to let people know that I'm not writing from some superior position because I really have thought through what is going on in my own internal world. And I think that's what God wants us to do. Hebrews talks about the Bible's a two-edged sword, and it really is a way to, to, to divide asunder the thoughts and intents of our heart so that we discover what's really going on. The Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, see if there be some wicked way in me. Are we willing to really think about what is going on in our soul? So when somebody is a great cheerleader for us, like a great mom like yours, that you're able to respond by saying, Mother, I really appreciate your cheerleading. It means a world to me. And can I tell you what it is that needs to be cheered right now? Because I've given a lot of thought to it, and I can't expect to say everything with great clarity. But if I can just stumble along for the next few minutes, I'd love to do that. If I can add one more thing, we belong to a spiritual formation group that actually we belong to in Denver, and we miss it greatly now because we're not in Denver anymore. But one of the things that our spiritual formation group, just this three couples, um, about, oh, I don't know how many years ago, a couple of years ago, on my birthday, we got together for our group, and the other couples said to me, and Rachel knew this was coming, my wife, we want to give you a birthday gift. And I said, great, what am I going to get, a new shirt? What is it going to be? And they said, no, for the next hour, we want you to talk about your internal world nonstop, and we'll say nothing. And my thought was, are you kidding me? <laughs> Could anybody be that much interested in my stuff? To want to sit and listen to me talk for an hour about myself and um i did that and i was in tears by the time the hour was over um because i was able just to think hard about about my own internal world my own struggles my own feelings my memories i began thinking about childhood and some difficulties there although i had a great childhood i had godly parents and i'm so grateful for them but even godly parents doesn't mean you have a perfect childhood and i was thinking about all sorts of things and the other couples my wife included were looking at me and it was so easy to read that they were for me. They were with me. And it was just one of the most significant evenings I think of my of my life. It was marvelous. You know, you talk about spiritual formation with this and, and you know again the church has done such a good job of, you know, let's if you fit in this box and you're becoming more like Jesus. And yeah. it's more probably is our is our um, our actions, our behaviors. But what you're really talking about and getting in touch, you know, just with our inner exploring is how is that going back to making us more like Christ? Because somewhat, you know, that's bringing up some ugly stuff that may be inside of us that we really don't want or we're ashamed of. So we don't want to even talk about it. We don't want to explore that. 
because obviously anything I can just take it to the cross and lay it there and not explore it. But how is that really helping us in this spiritual pathway to becoming more like a little Christ that you talked about in the very beginning? I don't believe that anybody grows meaningfully into spiritual formation to bear the image of Christ without brokenness over what requires grace to continue until we value the cross as the most important thing that ever happened in the history of time i, I don't think we're going to be living on the strength of the cross i need to acknowledge uh, j.a packer talks about this he said and he's now in his 90s but when he was in his 80s he said the only thing the only difference that age makes is your manifestation of your sinful nature changes some and we go to our graves still struggling with sin struggling with the flesh the flesh spirit battle and the degree to which i can face how i fail in relational sin i don't feel a great deal in behavioral sin i've never had an affair i've never had sex with anybody but my wife i've never robbed a bank i don't cheat on my income tax i mean i'm a really good guy until you look at the motivation behind a lot of my relational activities when am i trying to impress somebody when am i trying to protect myself when am i trying to enhance my reputation when am I really living out of my own um, inadequacies, my own insecurities? When am I trying to work on myself and the dickens with you? You're simply a tool so I can feel better about myself. That's relational sin. And that's something we're guilty of every day to some degree. I'm 73, been a Christian since I was eight. And there's not a day goes by when I'm not aware that my relational way of moving toward people does not perfectly mirror the relational nature of Christ. And if a day goes by when I don't value the cross more than anything else, that means I'm not aware of myself. But the degree to which I'm broken over my sin, that's looking bad in the presence of unfathomable love. And if somebody else can be the face of Jesus for me and show me that kind of love, then I'm so drawn to that that I find myself wanting to move in a very different way and to speak out of what is deepest within me as a Christian, which is my new heart where the Holy Spirit lives. And Ezekiel 36 talks about in the new heart that we've been given as Christians, we are moved to keep his decrees. No longer is it an obligation. It's a privilege and an opportunity. And when I'm broken over my sin and realize the grace that God shows me, something in me comes alive. And it's the spirit of God within me. And then I think I've become much more tender, much more caring about somebody else, much more grateful that I know the Lord. And that's how, that's when spiritual formation becomes real. What a value that is in... Because that doesn't sound like a real positive, you know, when you get into it, but really in more harmony with the spirit and not just in our walk, but would you say it actually increases our quality of life? Yes. Wow. What a, what a great gift to know that because we're kind of living more like Jesus in that way. And what you're talking about is not just from, you know, from your expertise, but you're talking from a very much of a biblical model of us coming to a brokenness and being able to be real and authentic and be able to express that from journaling to to prayer to our our, our body our church and being able to you know, with our small group whatever that is and to be able to share that and that is it's a new approach to really spiritual formation for a lot of people yeah, and I think I think that's sad. I think a lot of our understanding of spiritual formation uh, is is limited to some good things, but limited to good things such as 
this contemplative prayer and uh, spiritual disciplines, all of which have a wonderful place. But we need to realize that we're starting um, from the position of, 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 of failure. We're starting from the position of desperately needing grace. And until we are able to sing the song Amazing Grace with powerful gratitude, I don't think we're in line for the spirit to do his deepest work within us. And, you know, this is a, just a big question and asked and is because I'm guilty of this and, and just, we kind of want to look for a shortcut in this whole spiritual formation deal. We want that formula. We want to be able to be joyful every day. We want to experience that spiritual power. There's really no shortcut, is there, in this spiritual formation? I think uh, Peterson, Eugene Peterson, who I think is one of the masters of thinking through spiritual formation, he talks about obedience in the, I forget the name of the book, but obedience in the long direction, something like that. And his point is that spiritual formation is a lifelong process. And one of the things that I'm very impressed with is Colossians 1.11, where Paul says, I want you to know the almighty power of God. And the way that sentence is finished when I first noticed it some years ago, this kind of blew me away because I would have liked to have that verse finish where Paul is saying, I want you to know the almighty power of God so you can be meaningfully spiritual formed if you do these five things. So you can be meaningfully spiritual, spiritually formed by, by praying on a regular basis and then things are going to be great. Your life's going to be super. But what he says is, I want you to know the almighty power of God so that you can endure and be patient and to endure your own failures, your own mess and to be patient with how slowly God seems to be working in you. And when you become very enduring and patient, then one of the greatest virtues of the Christian life becomes alive in us, which is perseverance. And perseverance, in my mind, defines victory. I think one of the things that I'm most grateful for after, well, after all the years I've lived and all the failures that I've made and all the difficulties that I still have is I haven't quit. And I wonder, why haven't I quit? There's been times I've wondered, is this whole Christian thing worth it? It isn't working like I want it to work for me in my life. But I, I can't think of a plan B. And I really do believe that the gospel is working on me and in me. And I'm already acceptable to God because of the cross. I'm already loved by the Father. I'm already indwelt by the Spirit. I'm already saved by Jesus. And when I take all of that into account then maybe it's time to be a little more patient with myself with all the unfinished work that is within me. And I think that's a real expression of the almighty power of God. And I have a verse for it. So that means I know I'm right. And Michael, I got to tell you, this has been so encouraging. And, and this is why is so many of us, and, and again, myself included, is we put pressure on ourselves to grow. And Christ talks about his burden is light, his yoke is light. And then we able to Take this pressure off of us. And just as Dr. Crabb was sharing in his walk, his journey, his spiritual pathways, he is continually growing and the perseverance. And to be able to know that the patience that Christ is continually working in us until the day we die is that all this pressure trying to be someone who are really not in the inside isn't back to even our community to be able to be an encouragement back to them as Christ is working in our own life Christ is doing something in our hearts to make us more like him and to be able to know there's no pressure I have to act a certain way but this freedom to be who we are and what Christ is doing in our hearts 
I'm just incredibly encouraged, Michael. Me too. And you know that um, it's cool to be able to know that that's where the birthplace of encouragement comes from to be able to just um, be able to share that with the people that we interact with. And like you said earlier, dad, that um, uh, life is relationships. And so to be able to, uh, to be able to bring that to some of our relationships, I think that's, I think that's just so cool. And, and Dr. Crab, we've just uh, so enjoyed this conversation today and, and uh, thank you so much for sharing with us your wisdom and your words to live by on, on encouragement. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. It's really good chatting with you guys. And I appreciate the chance to think about, you know, pretty important things that, might help a lot of people and certainly are helping me and understanding the pressure's off. I wrote a book called The Pressure's Off because I was feeling so much pressure. I had to understand how to get it off. And speaking of resources, I, you know, and I'm just sitting on my side and I'm just looking Dr. the crabs book, Inside Hours, first book I, I ever read. And he has so many resources and not just from relationships, but spiritual growth and, and the pathway that is absolutely gold, you know, for people and just hearing his heart, being able to share this this journey of becoming more like Christ. I can't encourage our listeners more, Michael, to Dr. Kraft's website, go to his sources, so that way they can benefit from what his years of work that he's done. Well, I appreciate that. My website is New Way Ministries. That's the name of the organization that um, that I'm leading, New Way Ministries, and I I built that in Romans seven six, where we're we're freed from the law so that we can live in the new way of the Spirit. And um, and I when I first read those verses in Romans seven six some years ago, I thought I have no idea what Paul's talking about. What is this new way of the Spirit? <laughs> and I just well, have got so obsessed with that that I've built a whole ministry around that. What a great name and in. What people really want is is that new way, especially in in, in Christ, is that way. Yes, Again, yes. Thank you so much for being a part of our, our podcast. And I know this is going to be a huge ministry encouragement to so many. Well, I'm glad. Thank you for the privilege, gentlemen. I really enjoyed the time. And that's our show on encouragement with Dr. Larry Crabb. If you'd like to continue learning more about encouragement from Dr. Crabb, I'd highly encourage you to buy his awesome book called Encouragement. Just log on to my website, michaelgibson.org. That's michaelgibson.org. And I have a link where you can buy it. If you like the show today, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating and a comment. We like those five-star ratings and comments because your comments really do make the difference in introducing others to the show. And if you'd like to keep up with me, ask a question, maybe even suggest a topic for the show, just head over to my Facebook page. I'm pretty active on there, facebook.com slash Gibson. That's the Michael Gibson. Our music, as always, was composed and produced by the talented Rob McLean. You've been listening to Words to Live By.